Writing about science has taken Mary Roach to all kinds of places. Research facilities full of decomposing bodies, taste-testing labs for pet food, places that most of us have never even imagined existed. Places like the Space Potty at the NASA training facility in Houston. It's a bathroom, a large bathroom, and it has, um, I think it's a working model, of the shuttle toilet, uh, which is very complicated. You know, so it's, it's the size of a washing machine with a, you know, a, a panel of instructions on the wall next to it. That's your bathroom reading material. There's like 25 steps. Besides the instructions, when you sit on it, you'll see a little TV screen. But it is not there to keep you entertained. There's a video camera facing up and a closed-circuit television monitor right next to you. So you are seeing what's on the video camera pointing up towards your ass. They called it the potty cam. This is a training toilet for astronauts. Because it turns out, pooping in space is complex. Because you need to learn to dock with it, because you're not sitting on a toilet in space. You're, you're hovering above and getting, you gotta dock with it. You need it to get the angle right. It's a small opening. And it's, it's airflow that's moving the material, as they call it, the material, uh, the <laughs> down into the toilet. And if you are coming in at the wrong angle, you're going to f- um, plug up the air holes and, and then it's a, a toilet malfunction and you have to deal with it. And I tried it out. And before I did, they said, just to be clear, Mary, it's not a working toilet. In other words, <laughs> Don't. do not sh- on the video camera because somebody did <laughs> at some point. Some point. <laughs> um, I love that they have to like dock with the International Space Station and then like also dock their ass <laughs> into the toilet. Like, that's just very that. funny. I'm Dylan Thuris and this is Atlas Obscura, celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, author Mary Roach, one of my absolute all-time favorite authors, takes us into the hidden corners of the scientific world. From training to poop in space to the surprisingly pleasant common cold unit, all the way to the inside of Elvis's colon. And on this journey, she'll show us why she thinks scientists might be the most wondrous people in the world. More after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide-open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites— along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. For your next vacation spot, check out Texas for their vast landscape of culture, regions, destinations, and activities. Explore 350 miles of coastline and every kind of hiking trail, from strenuous to wheelchair-accessible. Enjoy world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Travel Texas even offers an online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. 
Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. Hello. Hi. How are you? Hi, Dylan. I'm fine. How's by you? Uh, it's good. It's fine. It's cold. I like to tell people sometimes, and you maybe in particular, I record this podcast, all of them, uh, from my bathroom. This is my downstairs bathroom. I'm in an old shower stall, you know? Oh, it looked like you were, it actually looks like you're in a blanket fort this, that your children have made. It, it is very <laughs> much like that. These are like packing blankets, uh, you know, also it goes to my construction skills that this, <laughs> that it, <laughs> The difference between the fort that my children make and the one I make is very small. Um, we'll start with a very straightforward question, which is, uh, who are you and what do you do? Oh, well, I'm Mary Roach and I write nonfiction books that are, well, you could call them the science books, but um, I'm not a science writer. I'm kind of more of a science goober. I'm kind of fascinated by science, but I don't have a background anyway. So I've written I think seven it is books uh, that uh, take me to interesting and strange science adjacent places. Mary's work spans all sorts of topics. Her book Stiff is all about dead bodies. Bonk covers the science of sex. And Packing for Mars looks at human life and human waste in space. I mean, it seems like when you when you find something sort of profoundly strange or gross, you have a very strong reaction to pull closer to that thing. <laughs> Has that always been true for you? Is that something you developed as a writer or just a kind of natural instinct? No, I don't seem to have any uh, sense of squeamishness. For example, the body farm in Stiff, mm. that is a quite disgusting experience. You know, you have the sight of a decomposing body and the smells. And even in fact, you can hear the maggots feeding if you put your ear up close. But it, and that's you know, memorably gross, but I was so interested by what the researcher was saying and what he was revealing to me that I, you know, didn't, that that stuff didn't bother me. I yeah. just, I don't have that repulsion. There's few things that repulse, a couple, but <laughs> there's very few things where I go, I don't want to go close to that. Well, I have to ask now, what are the, what are those things? What are the things that you're like, no, thank you. Okay. The only time I've actually gagged uh, and had to leave the room was not for a book. Uh, I'm friends with uh, Judy Melanick, who she was the medical examiner in the city of Oakland, where I live. She, you know, when she was done with her autopsies, we'd meet for fish tacos on Fridays. And uh, I, I was bragging about how nothing disgusts me. And so one day she goes, she kind of made it her personal goal to change that. So she goes like, oh, I've got a really interesting case today. You should come down to the morgue. And I said, okay. And so I did. I showed up and she had two bodies that, whoa, they were long gone dead things. They were, and it was a hot, it was summer and there were people, they were bloated and um, the smell when she cut into them I had, I just had to leave. I gagged. And she's looking at me like, what? <laughs> but she was used to it anyway. That was my undoing yeah. in terms of, yeah. Going sort of all the way back, how did this start? How did you sort of carve out this this world that you live in? Uh, well, I, I, yeah, you know, my freelance career uh, was pretty random. I just kind of went with who would hire me. And one of the people I worked for, uh, it was a magazine called Hippocrates, and they did 
health and medicine related things, but they were very open-minded. Like they, they're like, weight loss is a perennial topic. And I'd go, okay, what about like, how do sumo wrestlers gain weight? So of course I had to go to Tokyo and hang out in a sumo stable and interview them about how they gain weight and then turn that inside out and try to say, here's how you could lose weight. So I would do that (laughs) all the time because I love to travel. Mary's first assignment was to write about the common cold. So in perfect Mary Roach style, she jumped on a plane to England to report from the common cold unit. Brits go there. They become <laughs> subjects of research studies. They, and they think it's a holiday for them. They get three meals a day and the food was pretty good and they go for walks, but they have to be at the end of a string separated so they don't infect each other. And you have a virus dripped up your nose the first day. And then every day, a snot, she's called the snot nurse, she would come around and you would kind of go into a Petri dish and they would see if you're <laughs> shedding virus. And then you could have your, your breakfast and then your 11sies. they fed you really well. And then you'd go for a walk in the lovely Salisbury sunshine. And uh, that was, I was like, this is heaven for me to write stories like this, to be able to travel to places like that. So that's, you know, where it started and has kind of remained. You know, you're you're writing about some subjects that could actually be quite dry or treated quite dry, and some science writing can be quite dry. Your writing is so funny. Did you work at finding humor in the material, or is it sort of like your curiosity and your kind of delight in it all, it just sort of burbles out of that? It is just kind of my my curiosity, but it, it has a lot to do with um, what I choose to write about. I can't take just anything and make it funny. I I have to see that it's likely to have some potential. The common cold unit, you know, a place where British people pay, (laughs) like, go for their holiday and have a cold dripped into their nose, that this is something they want to do. I'm like, this has a lot of potential. This will be fun. I mean, you also do a good job of sort of framing these unusual questions, like, did constipation kill Elvis? Did it kill Elvis, by the way? Yeah. Yeah, Elvis had megacolon. It's a genetic thing. No nerves at the end of the colon, so you can't push stuff along. It backs up, gets hard. It's horrible. Mm. He was pushing really hard on the toilet. See, I went went there anyway. Yeah, constipation kind of killed Elvis. Yep. Mary asked so many of these perfect, specific, surprising questions in all of her books. In her book, Packing for Mars, she asked, for example, what happens if you vomit inside of your helmet during a spacewalk? Spoiler, it could blind you, it could kill you, it is not good. And then she follows up, well, how do we know? And they say, because we tested it. And then she follows up with, what did you test it with? The exact material they used for simulated vomit, I think it was a Progresso vegetable soup. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty good, oh boy. Well, starting to work on the book, Mary became really fascinated by the ways that scientists have recreated these very specific space scenarios right here on Earth. NASA and the people and the organizations that they work with, they're just a playground for a science dork like myself. There's lots of simulators and there's lots of research facilities and far-flung places. There's lots of places like to go with people doing stuff. The stuff that's most interesting about space exploration for me is the stuff going on on the ground and nobody covers that. Everybody's like, oh, space. It's like, okay, you're going around in circles (laughs) in a metal container. And that is cool that you got there. But to me, the stuff that you did before you got there 
were much more interesting and didn't seem like they'd been covered. One of the things that got her really interested in this kind of space training was a research facility that she'd heard about where scientists were studying exactly what happened when you spent a long time up in space. NASA pays people to essentially lie in bed without getting out of bed for three months, six months, uh, to study what happens when your muscles start deteriorating and you start losing bone. Like, like what happens and how do we counteract that? What is happening and who takes that job? Yeah, yeah. Well, there not lots happening. You're lying. You're lying down in a bed, and and the even worse, it's tilted down. It's like a six-degree slant, so more fluid is in the upper half of your body. And that's something that happens when you're weightless because your blood doesn't fall down to your lower limbs in the same way. It's all up in the upper half. And so you're you know, congested a little bit like the astronauts are. And you're not, you do not sit up even. You lie down uh, for the duration. And the guy, one guy I interviewed uh, had sat up, I think, to use the bedpan, and he was kicked out. <gasps> that was it. Didn't get Whoa. his pay at all. Didn't even get a chunk of it. Uh, so, so <sighs> the, it, it it tends. And who does? You're asking me who does it? It it's kind of like a modern day debtor's prison. It's like if mm. you need because you're gonna get what was it like thirty thousand dollars? You get a chunk of change at the end of it, and because you're stuck there, you know you're not gonna spend much. Although I have to say that the UPS truck makes a lot of stuff. So you can you're you can be online. Uh, it's great for somebody who just wants to lie around and play video games. There's a lot of people there who are who it appeals to them. You get that kind of person. You get somebody who just who needs to make some money yeah. and doesn't have any other options. Uh, possibly has lost their apartment. So, um, but they were the people that I, I met there. They were great. One, one guy was kind of grumpy about it, and one guy was just like, "The food is so good." <laughs> Sadly, he's the one who sat up and got kicked out. (laughs) Yeah. So along with studying what's happening inside the body while it's in space, NASA also spent a lot of time and money thinking about what is coming out of your body while you are in space, which is how Mary came to know the space body. The toilet seat that the astronauts were using was specially designed, very expensive, because it it facilitated spreading of the cheeks because... Uh, when you're dealing with uh, out gravity, as I mentioned before, surface tension, things tend to hold on. Mm. So there's less contact between the material and the sides of your butt cheeks, the better for you to have good separation. That is the be all and end all of being in space. Good separation. It's not going to drop down into the bowl on its own. So... This is just, this is what makes your work so delightful because it like, it really grounds everything in, in, the, in the true materiality of, of the human experience. You've been doing this for, for a, a while. What have you learned from all of this work? Um, I've, I guess just that the world is such a freaking amazing place and, and it's different to go out into it than to read about it online. There is no substitute for the thing itself. Everything else is a flattening. Only the thing itself yes. has the full <laughs> surface area and texture and surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And it's never what you thought yes. it was. You don't know till you get there. It's true. And it's always going to be a revelation and cause for uh, amazement. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I could not agree more. Last question, I think. Um, so much of your work is about 
human beings. Like how has this changed the way you feel about human beings? Do you do you do you like them more? Do you like them less? Oh, I like them more. I like them more. You know, anytime I go in my case, I, I don't know. I've emailed a researcher or some, you know, whoever I'm going to go spend time with. A couple of emails have gone back and forth. I don't even know what this person looks like. And so, so rarely has the person been less interesting than I expected. They're, they're, it, I'm always in love with these people. You know, I meet them and I step into their world for a few days. I just end up always coming home with this fondness for them. So I, I think it's, I, I like people more. And I, in particular, like scientists. Uh, I, I like the passion they have for these things that other people don't even think about. Um, and I love the dedication. And they often are very funny. I don't know where I'm going when I show up. You know, I let them kind of lead me there. And it's always this, just this incredible journey, I guess you would say. And I feel so privileged to be able to do that. That sounds kind of highfalutin, but it's true. Well, you are a personal hero of mine. So you are, <laughs> you're, uh, you, your work is just a delight in every possible way, as is talking to you. It's such a, it's such a, such a joy to, to get to talk to you about what you do. Oh, likewise. I, I'm just so, I was, I've been looking forward to this uh, all, all day, doing this, you know, just uh, I knew it would be a lot of fun, and it was. I want to give a huge thank you to Mary Roach. All of her books are incredible. If you want to read Packing for Mars, we have linked that in the show notes. But honestly, pick up any of the books she has written. Every single one of them is a gem. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. This episode was produced by Sarah Wyman and Abby Peralt. The production team includes Dylan Thuris, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Gabby Gladney, Baudelaire, Gianna Palmer. Our technical director is Casey Holford. And this episode was sound designed by Abby Peralt and mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you a software professional looking to make a lasting impact on people and the planet? At General Motors, our vision is a world with zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. And we need innovative people like you to join us on this journey and challenge the limits of what is possible. From autonomous cars to software-defined vehicles, you'll translate breakthrough technologies like AI into experiences that people love, all while pushing the world forward toward an all-electric future. See how you can shape the future of mobility at careers.gm.com.